Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are The Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery, and welcome to another episode of the Dental Amigos podcast, where I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be talking, Rob. It's good to see you, Paul, and uh, welcome back, everyone. We're full-fledged in the uh, our third season of our newly uh, formatted, minted uh, podcast uh, we got themes. schedule here. we got themes. we got seasons, uh, and so we're talking about practice buy-ins. Uh, today, we're going to talk about how to find a deal. Kind of teased people on that last episode a little bit uh, when we talked about associate uh, buy-ins and some of the, the pitfalls uh, that uh, sellers, uh, practice owners yeah. should think about. So we'll, we'll uh, talk about that a little bit more and uh, talk about some other ways that you may be able to bring somebody on as a partner or or join a practice. Yes, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, buy-ins, as they kind of we've just been repeating and they are ABC, always be consistent, just come with a lot of risk and also a lot of reward. So, you know, there's just spectacularly awesome buy-ins where dentists will work together for decades and feel great about it. And then there's also some the opposite of that, mm-hmm. as you see, spectacular failures, I'm the right way to say it, or spectacular problems yeah. where things fizzle out and fizzling out in a buy-in is different than fizzling out in other other types of arrangements. Yeah, it can be. It can be a lot more penal. Uh, and I think, you know, what we see in a lot of respects in, in different deals, whether you're talking about an acquisition or a startup, but even more so with buy-ins, uh, typically the ones where there are problems, it's not usually a surprise. Right. You know, like then the people, if you're not doing things right uh, and not taking the right steps, not doing the right due diligence, or just not being really honest with yourself, For sure. uh, that's where the problems come up, you know? And, and so just because you are working in a practice and you've been offered a partnership and it doesn't mean that that's the right thing to do necessarily, yeah. you know, especially if you don't like the person, you don't like the practice, you know, chances are after you become a partner, you're not going to like the person more. You're right. not going to like the practice more. Uh, and I think sometimes I hate to say, you know, the L word, but don't be lazy right. just because it was the easy opportunity that was brought to you. doesn't mean that it's, you know, what you should do or the best thing to do or, uh, you know, be, you know, uh, again, honest and, and, yeah, sure. and realistic. And I think, open. you know, when we talk about ways to find a deal, it kind of starts to show these are the th- times where you're going to be able to evaluate, like your word, Rob, but pur- purposefully, if this is something that's going to be have a reasonable chance for success or not. And I bet you if you look, go back to a lot of partnerships that have worked out well or not so well, they can probably point to this time and say, the things we did in evaluating finding that deal is what led to where we are today. Right. Whether that's mm-hmm. spectacular success and maybe selling for a great price to a 
corporate group or another group or saying, man, that really set me back in my professional and financial life because I got involved with a partnership that went sideways. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. So what we're really kind of break down, there's like a few types of situations we'll talk about, which is we'll, we'll start with, you know, the third party where somebody's coming in off the street who's not involved in the practice. And then we'll talk about associate buy-ins uh, and we'll kind of break those down into two different subparts yeah. uh, where you've got somebody that is the existing associate that you're going to decide after they've been there for several years that it's a good fit both ways. And then we'll also talk about sort of looking for opportunities to bring on an associate with the expectation that it will lead to partnership. Yeah. And same thing from the associate side coming on with to uh, work for a practice with the hope or expectation that that may lead to to partnership. Sure. So kind of kick off sort of the the first uh, first prong there, which is you know we'll call it the third party by him, which I'd say is somewhat less common. yeah, uh, it it somewhat surprises me whenever I see this because you know it, it's it's like, what are some of these reality dating shows, yeah. you know, where <laughs> yeah. it's like, yeah, the well, I guess the classic, The Bachelor, right? Or The Bachelorette. And I guess there's a couple other spinoffs or similar shows like that where you have n nothing to do with each other. And then all of a sudden you're partners. And you know, where I've seen this is, you know, I was just thinking, as you said this in the time I was involved in finding someone in one of these is that there's sometimes as partners and additional associates and the additional associates do not want to buy the practice. So right. what has happened a lot of times is the partners have established that this is a two dentist partnership practice. They may hire one part-time, one full-time, two part-time additional associates, and they probably will offer that to them. And they say, no, thanks. I enjoy being a two day a week associate. Mm -hmm. And now the older person saying, well, I want to hang up the handpiece. Very ceremonial thing, Rob. They talk about the white coat ceremony. I've seen that where you get your white coat and your right. hand. Forget about that. They should have a hang up the handpiece ceremony yeah, yeah. where, you know, you put your handpiece up for the last time. So the dentist looking to hang up the handpiece might say, oh, geez, now we need to find someone to replace me. And this is where I think this third party, quote unquote, off the street candidate might come from that look that looks professionally with their goals different than the associates that they have, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe someone more seasoned. You know, also it's like, you know, sometimes these places, Rob, will, you know, they'll hire someone out of a GPR. It's their first year out of a GPR. The they're doing great as their three day a week associate, but they're not ready to buy into the practice. Right. You know, they don't know if they want to live in the area. They don't know if they can do the dentistry. Right. So now mm -hmm that partner saying, hey, we got to go out. And sometimes they hire a headhunter, like I was for that time. Other times they'll put the word out in different ways. But like you said, it's not easy to find that person. Yeah. And 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 it's it's also tricky to know that the relationship's going to work. Right. I mean, the, one of the nice things about the associateship to partner arrangement is that both sides get a sense of what the other one's all about. Yeah. And you, know, you can be, you know, we talk about two people that are, you know, good, nice people, but doesn't necessarily mean that they should be together. And so, you know, coming in as a, we'll call it the third party partnership that maybe, you know, you've spent a couple of days or a few days in the office together, you've had dinner a few times. Yeah. Wow. You know, I, again, 
back to the last episode where we're using right. marriage and relationship yeah. metaphors, but like that would be really weird if you got married at that point. Like we've sure. been on we've been on three or four dates. I feel like uh, this work for you, it works for me. Yeah. So let's go. You know? I think we, you know, as you were saying this, Rob, I, I had a patient, and as you met him before, I transformed his whole life. He hadn't seen a dentist in 30 years. We did implants, and I did it. One time I did a little interview with him. I said, you know, why did you do this? Like, what was the day where you said, I'm going to finally get my teeth? Nor he said, and he's, he's actually a management coach, and he says, when the pain gets bad enough, people will do things to try to make it better. And, you know, he came to the dentist, invested money. But what I found is, and you're saying this, is that, you know, it's it's unusual but let's say you have someone who's been working for a DSO for seven years, produces a lot of dentistry, doesn't like the environment. They might be open-minded to being the partner off the street. You know, yeah. they might want a totally different world. Mm -hmm. You know, where there's no DSO manager looking over their shoulder. Right. Not to say that all that's always bad, but you know, they're just looking for that one person where, you know, the pain to them is bad enough where they'll say, you know what, I will take this risk, and then inside that practice for the third party, you know, the younger partner's like, well, I gotta have a partner with somebody. Right. <laughs> so sometimes they take these, you know, proverbial leap of faith, but it is the least tested of what we're gonna talk no, about. For sure. Here, you know? I mean, I, like I say, I, I somewhat cringe in those situations and wonder like how, how is this gonna work? You know, and, and maybe, and I guess sometimes it works well and Sometimes I mean, it doesn't. You know, golf is something we can point to, you know, where you, sometimes people play with the same people they play golf with. They know how they play. What if someone said, I want to be join your force. I'm a very fast golfer. On the second hole, you go, you don't know how words work because you are not a fast golfer. You know, you have right. you have lined up your putt for triple bogey for the fourth time. And now you've slowed up this whole foursome. So just to make dentists a little aware and maybe a little scared, too, is that can happen inside of the dental partnership, too. Yeah, but I think, and this is what we talked about this in the last episode, but, you know, circle back on this. This is why bringing a partner on and it can be a, a tricky thing when it comes time to transitioning out because it's not that easy to sell a 50% interest right. in a practice to somebody off the street, you know, that your, your number one buyer a uh, potential buyer is that existing yeah. partner. And if for some reason that partner can't get it done, then you've got this weird asset, you know, that you're trying right. to sell. Try to sell half of a house, right? <laughs> yeah. Doesn't go too well, yeah. you know, like, in, and if you're going to sell half a house, the person buying it, like, has to really like you, right? right? Exactly. You know, because <laughs> you can't just put a wall up between, you know, the middle of the house and say, you've got the left side, I've got the right side. And, and then the other part of the house, you say, well, you maybe you get to buy that later. Do I have to buy it later? I'm not so sure, right? You know, it's like, hey, it's a bad game of who's on practice transitions first, right? You uh -huh. know, I demand you buy this later. Well, what if I don't want it, right? I wanted you to sell it later. What if I don't want to sell it? So I think that the third party off the street one is comes with a lot of complexity. And like, like I think that's why we don't see it as frequently. Yeah, oh, for sure. And, and you know, know that when you have a partnership, don't, I mean, don't think that you're, just because you own 50%, like that you've got this, this liquid marketable thing. You right. know, realize that in your grand plan transition strategy that uh, you have probably limited yourself a lot or potentially could have limited yourself. And this maybe was just a good time to jump in for the next one. It, it just made me think of it that we've talked a lot about this 50-50, but it probably that also makes it even less attractive, less sensible to buy in for less than that. Because some people will say, hey, do you want to buy 25% of this practice off the street? Now, as you said, Rob, it's like 25% of what? Yeah. what? What can I sell it for? So just make sure you get advisors, both accountants and attorneys that kind of can show you 
what makes sense and what makes no sense in some of these deals. Yeah, I mean, I think in that situation, especially from the the buyer side that's buying the 25%, we'll just say that they kind of got the basement of the house, right. so to speak, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. that they really should think about having some sort of mechanism that's going to allow you to buy the rest right. of it, you know, to, to be the person that perpetually lives in the 25% basement portion right. of the house without any kind of prospect for being able to move upstairs is not such a, a great uh, I mean, basically, you know, thing. when we talked about this in previous episodes, probably worth just highlighting, you basically bought something that no one's probably ever going to buy from you. We've seen this in the DSO. Right, you have, right. We're going to buy 20% of these shares, right? Right. You 25 says now you've, you've given money for something that is pretty much almost unsellable to another person. Uh-huh, exactly, so, right. I'm not yeah. an economic expert, but it doesn't seem like the best type of purchase. Uh, right, <laughs> it, it, it is, it's, that's a, a air quote, tricky investment <laughs> yeah. to make. Um, now, that's a great point, Paul. So, so what we do see more often is where there is an associate in the practice who ends up uh, buying uh, an interest, you know, a partnership interest. And so, um, Two ways, as we said at the outset, that that you know often comes about, where you have somebody that's been in the practice for a number of years, then maybe there wasn't any discussion when they came to join the practice that hey, someday maybe we'll be partners. But uh, at some point, it becomes a uh, something that's desirable to both sides. Let's let's talk about that a little bit, Paul. You know, I'd like to talk about a couple of things. Maybe think of something immediately that I'd like to. You know, I would say I'm an equal opportunity annoyer, kind of annoyer. Mary might say just a regular annoyer, but like I'll kind of kindly annoy both sides. Sometimes, you know, the associate will say to me before they've worked day one in a practice, you know, I don't want to build this practice up and then buy what I built up. Right, <laughs> zero days in the practice. They know right. no patients, right. but they're firmly convinced that right. them working in the practice is going to make it. Skyrocket. I've heard that. Yeah. I've heard that before, yeah. Paul. And then on, the, then on the other side of it, for the, the sellers, they, they say, Paul, you know, find me an associate, but only if they want to buy into this practice, right? I go, oh, right. so you want me to see inside people's mind? Is that one of the servers I'm <laughs> right. paying? Right. So what I kind of share when we pull back from this for the associate working in the practice is use that test out phase to see, you know, if the relationship is one that makes sense to both of you as people and professionals. Right. I think, you know, there's a lot of dentists, Rob, and people, maybe you know attorneys too, that get along professionally, but just don't get along personally. And then maybe sometimes worse, vice versa, right? They get along personally and they can go have beers and coffee together, but professionally, they're just on two opposite sides of the spectrum mm -hmm. as to what they think best practices are, right? Right, right. And I can't pull something out of the, the attorney world, but with dentistry, I come with treatment planning, right? You know, imagine you had two mechanics, Rob, working in the same place and you took your car in and one said, when you had a problem, said, you know what, hey, Rob, you got to replace this engine. This is not safe for your family. You know, we're going to replace this engine, do this. And the other mechanic came the next day, said, ah, Rob, we'll just patch it up. No big deal, right? And you'd say, this place is an inconsistent car treatment planner. Right. And inside of dental practices, that can happen often. So when we talk about finding these deals, the reason why it's related is that's what you're going to, find out in the associate owner test phase and you're both evaluating each other as professional and people um but if it, both of those are aligned you know to use about board then partnership can make great sense oh for sure you know you say yeah. i treat the patients like you and we also get along mm -hmm. you know i'll use my own dad and his partner you know it's not like they were they played golf together and they did dentistry pretty much similar right mm -hmm. not exactly similar patients knew they had differences but they were the result of a Good partnership. Right, you right. Know, but my dad was an associate there first back in the 1970s. And 
he got to see if it was going to work out for him. And then That's they, cool. you know, then they bought in together and it lasted and, you know, probably was just a great example of how both per personal and professional tendencies need to match. Yeah. And again, we've talked about this a couple of times, but you have to, you know, have eyes open and, and be realistic that, you know, is this a, truly a good match? You know, am I buying into the practice because I feel like this is a good fit and a good partnership? Or is it just because it's the easiest opportunity because right. I'm already here? You know, and usually most decisions that you make in life that you do because it's the easy way usually don't turn out to For be sure. the best. And you also said also we, in the finding a deal way, I'd like to add, how do you find a deal if you're working as an associate and is, is, is prove that it's a partnership deal to begin with, right? It's not just a partnership because you say it's a partnership, right? right? So many of these practices exist and the deal is it's an owner and associate. Maybe you buy out the owner and they become the associate. But from a financial perspective, as you see, some of them are not built for sharing the revenue. Right, right. Yeah. And, and so you may have a situation where you have the practice owner who um, who would like to take their foot off the gas, so to speak, and share some of the administrative burden. However, it may not be a luxury they have. To bring I'll, I'll use partnership restaurant decisions. Like most of the time, this isn't a compromise. You know, if Mary wants to go to a restaurant and she really likes it, I'm happy for her. If I really like it, she's happy for me. But if an owner is making $400,000 a year, Rob, and an associate is making one fifty, and now they're each making two seventy-five, they're probably both annoyed. Right? Yeah, it probably right. it's probably just both. It'd be better if the owner said, "I'm ready for 150, and you take 400." Mm -hmm. Right? But you know, they sort of, you know, the owner comes down, the associate doesn't go up enough. Now right. you got two annoyed people. Well, <laughs> and and you know, and what we're talking about is annoyance over money, which you know, again, let's just go back to our relationship metaphors. Yeah. Most disputes in relationships uh, arise out of the you know topic of money. Yeah. Right. And so, if the money doesn't work then this is probably, you know, at the outset, you know, baseline, not going to be an arrangement that works. And just, yeah, and if you're listening as someone who's buying in, remember also you are taking out some sort of loan to do this. So even if the owner is willing to come down and what they make, make sure that what you're earning after paying the loan is something that's going to make you satisfied. Because right. I've seen that make people dissatisfied. Oh, yeah. And they, I go, why'd you do this? They go, I already did it. I didn't ask anyone. I go, well, next time you make a huge life decision, right. ask some people who do this all the time, right? For sure. You know, if you said, hey, Paul, I think I'm just going to go home and do my own braces today. I'm like, well, can you just give me five minutes to show you people who've done their own braces, Rob, <laughs> right. and seen what happened? And then right. after that, you could do whatever you want, right? Yeah, right. Just show you these photos. Right. One's right. tooth filed at this person's head, right? Yeah. So, you because know, I do I do this all the time. So, you know, it's kind of just a good point to say, talk to people who do this stuff all the time for some context and awareness of what can go wrong. Well, this is a teaser for an upcoming episode, but this is about financial due diligence. I mean, you yeah. don't, this does not have to be some mysterious thing. And it's a, it's a step that a lot of people, I would say skip, but they don't skip it. I think you have to realize it's a step before you can skip it. Right. <laughs> they just don't even, aren't even aware of it, that just because you are buying into a practice does not mean that you're going to make more money. You know, right. after you borrow the and, money for the buy-in and you do your thing as a dentist, it does not mean at the end of the day, you will have more money in your pocket. That's not a given. For sure. And, and situations where the finances don't work, the economics don't work, the practice doesn't support two partners or the, uh, the purchase price is too high, whatever it is that impacts that cash flow, ultimately it is possible to make less 
yeah. after you've bought in. Um, and and so sometimes people are really surprised More responsibility is less money. I think when we talk about finding the deal, whether it's a third party or whether you work there, find a practice owner who's very transparent about their numbers before this happens because yeah. they should be transparent about office collections. They don't always necessarily have to tell you the first day you work their, their exact number on their K-1 or profit. Mm -hmm. But they got to be transparent about, oh, hey, this office collects $100,000 a month. We strive for 60% overhead. That's because of X, Y, and Z, because those are practices. That's finding a deal where they're ready for a partner. Right. But um, a lot of times I hear this response to the finances, total gobbledygook nonsense, right? Someone will DM me on Facebook and say, hey, Paul, can anyone help me with this buy-in? I've been asked to buy into the practice. I go, that's exciting. What's the practice collect? They haven't told me that yet, right? Yeah. It's like crazy. Just so That's out of, nuts. It's, it's just the steps yeah. are so out of well, line. Well, this is what yeah. it is. And this is one of my favorite, <laughs> favorite yeah. things to say with this. And you'll hear it a few more times <laughs> in the next coming episodes. That's like being the practice owner and saying like, okay, Paul, do you want what's behind? Door <laughs> yeah. number two, right. yeah. Paul Goodman. Yeah. You know, it's like, what's that? Like, you got to, yeah. I can't tell you. Yeah. you, you we <laughs> yeah, have to find right. out. Is it door number two or door yeah. number three? Paul yeah. Goodman takes door number two. Oh, boy. You know? Yeah, I know. That's like those game shows with the Monty Hall thing. And then, you know, we talk to add for the seller's perspective, how do they find these deals, right? They find them by having an associate. It might seem obvious but also having authentic conversations with these associates because you don't live in other people's heads. So many times I've been talking to the seller side and they say, my associate is going to buy in. And I go, I know that person. I think they're moving across the country next week. right? Yeah, yeah. And like, I'm being a little exaggerating, but as mm -hmm. a seller, if you want to find one of these deals, have some good conversations with your associates. Mm -hmm. Just, just be the mentor they need, be the older dental sibling that they need and sort of just talk to them about what they think, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. if their dream is to go start up a practice with, you know, ideal practices somewhere that you're not going to unwind that dream and maybe they've learned from you when they go. And right. so I think, you know, we talked a lot about buyers finding a deal, but the way sellers find it, the associate that's working in your office, that might not be the right deal for you. Right, right. No, that, that's for sure. And, but, and so, yeah, that sort of awareness and being, you know, honest with what you're looking at is it's a two-way street for for both of them yeah yeah there's no doubt so then the last thing we talk about is you know where you have a situation where you are uh as the practice owner bringing somebody on with an, an associate with the that expectation of partnership and same thing associate says yeah you know if this is my third job after dental school um and, I'm, and I'd like to land someplace where I'm going to have yeah. ownership. Um, I will take this job for now and make 35% of collections, but I'd like to be a practice owner someday. I'll say what you know, people don't always realize in that situation, and this is, a, again, a two-way street. Typically, that's not something that can be captured in the associate agreement. Yeah. So that's sort of like a, a written handshake when it lands in a uh, in an associate agreement. And what I mean by that is it's not an enforceable contractual provision. You know, most of the time you'll see in the associate agreement, it'll say after a year or after a certain period of time, the parties, if they're on board, will explore the possibility of ownership or yeah. equity for for the associate. And and like that's a nice thing. You know, I think that shows that they were having that discussion, you know, at least that yeah. discussion was had, like, I'd like to be a partner. Oh, I'd like to have a partner. Okay, cool. Right. 
let's, you know, now let's, let's date, let's check it out. But understand that if the practice doesn't offer that partnership to the associate, or if the associate decides that they're going to move to Napa, California uh, in six months, there's nothing that either party could sue the other for or enforce the agreement. It's really kind of like, almost like a letter of intent Kind of I, you know, it's interesting to me, and maybe I'm just being overly positive, but I find that to be kind of like a, a fairly positive situation because the practice owner is saying, mm-hmm. you know, through words too, that right. I would like this. Right. The practice owner now knows the associate, you know, some of these, you know, dentists are extremely dramatic people. You know, they say, my associate left me. I go, they didn't leave you. They just worked you for three years, went somewhere else, right? You <laughs> you literally did the exact same thing in the 1980s. Remember you in the 80s when there was no cell phones? You did that to old Doc Smith. So, right. <laughs> but at least, at least they're having a conversation about the future. Yes. Which, as you know, most people don't have. So uh-huh. it, it forces probably that. leads itself. And also I think, you know, life doesn't be so dramatic. You know, you could have this conversation and the associate realizes like, I can't work with this person. Mm-hmm. Or the owner says, the dentistry, I mean, one of the things I think it's tough and you you deal with it, I deal with it. And it's, it, we all learn is like, many times the, the owner doing this is at the top of their dental game and they're doing dentistry likely in a pretty awesome way. And they're hiring someone younger and now they're making dentistry in two different ways. And sometimes the owner says, this is not going to work out, right? And they don't know until they play that game. Right. But at least they can unwind it legally, mm-hmm. right? Sure. But at least it starts with in the right direction. So to me, actually, it sounds like kind of a, a good good scenario. Yeah, I think it is. And as long as you understand what it is and what yeah. it isn't, right? So, you know, it's not, you know, from time to time, people will say, I had this in my agreement. And then they never offered me the partnership, you know, and, and then you'll find out that, you know, the agreement said after one year, and now this is five years later. Like, did you ever kind of say, hey, come on? Uh, yeah. Let's, like, you, we, we talked about after a year, and now we're five years in, and you've got another excuse this year. Uh, but so as long as you understand what you right. have there. But in order for that to be a binding, enforceable promise in the, in the, uh, in the associate agreement, you would have to more or less negotiate the purchase agreement right. and say the purchase agreement when the buy-in is attached here too as exhibit A, the parties right. agree to that. And they're going to enter into this operating agreement, which is like the partnership agreement for for the for the LLC or a shareholders agreement if it's a corporation. And that the when the when the parties close on this, they're going to also sign that that agreement attached as exhibit B, also a fully executed agreement. You, you just don't usually see that right. at the start of an associateship. Now, sometimes there are situations where somebody says, hey, I'm moving to Portland and uh, from uh, you know uh, Dallas, and before I make that move, I'm gonna be an associate for a few months, right. but I wanna know that you know we're gonna get this, yeah. this done, I'm gonna get the financing, and for other reasons, we can't do the acquisition now, but I'm picking up and moving the other side of the country and acting as an associate with the expectation that this is what's going to happen. Occasionally, we'll see that and do that. And that and that's where you would go and negotiate both of those documents and, and attach them as Exhibit A and Exhibit yeah. B to the associate. Sounds like it's it makes very sense. uncommon. I think, you know, we've provided a lot of value here for both sides in finding these deals. I think, you know, we probably think of finding a deal of scanning all the broker websites for looking for a practice to buy, but this is really a relationship-based world for buy-ins you know it's really all about the relationships that you're developing and you know there's when it goes right it just can be fantastic you get to kind of 
test drive being in a business with somebody right. and then moving forward. And that's why there probably are a lot of successful partnerships Yeah, in, those, right. in that regard. But you know, if you don't, if you go into it, uh, all willy nilly, as my grandmother might say, and not not you know I say not that but, too. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Rob. Come sorry, Rob. On, man. All, yeah, yeah. And you know, then you know the opposite could happen. So it's just kind of this consistent theme of you know be aware, prepared, and protect yourself. Yeah, yeah, and and be realistic. Yeah, right. You know, and um, and as you said, it's great. You get to kick the tires, and if this works, it's great, and do it. But you know, don't do it because you know it's the easy thing. Uh, like I said, very few decisions in life that you take the easy way are, are the good ones. You know, yeah. Evaluate it for what it is on both sides. You know, and and again, from the seller's perspective, the practice owner. Once you bring this partner on, this is your partner in transitioning yeah. this practice, and either they're going to buy it or they're going to have to agree to sell it to somebody else right. someday. And you know, you—that's a different level of trust, perhaps. And in a lot of respects, it's riskier for the the seller practice owner than it is for the associate that's buying it. Yeah, for sure. All right, everyone. Hopefully, uh, we got some good uh, tidbits here today. Uh, don't be willy nilly, yeah. uh, whatever you do, uh, about about this stuff. And uh, if, uh, as always, if you uh, like our podcast, you know, please uh, give us a good review on Apple or Google, and uh, be sure to tune in again for our next exciting episode on practice buy-ins in our third season. And good to see you, Paul. Awesome, Rob. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with The Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on thedentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.